नमो तस्वतो वरा संबुदस् नमो तस्वतो वरा संबुदस् नमो तस्वतो वरा संबुदस् फ्रेंड्स वंस अगेन I like to uh, focus uh, your attention to jhana uh, practice and uh, especially last time I gave an overview of uh, uh, jhana explaining the jhana formulas themselves but today i try to put them in perspective in uh, the entire teachings of the buddha i showed this uh, chart yesterday the other day uh, this here are 37 factors of enlightenment put in seven categories and therefore they are called sometimes uh, seven factors of enlightenment but in uh, detail these seven become 37 you can see them in this uh, thing first is four striving sangvara restraint abandoning cultivating and pr- protecting and uh, developing four then four Uh, the basis of uh, uh, accomplishment called iddipada they are chanda chitta virya vimansa i mentioned them chanda is will chitta means determination virya is effort vimansa is investigation then four foundations of mindfulness mindfulness of the body f- feeling consciousness and mental phenomena then five faculties you count all of them now we mentioned 12 of them already five faculties faith mindfulness effort concentration and wisdom five powers the same five when we cultivate very diligently they become a power uh, i don't have time to explain how to cultivate them every one of them separately but i just want to go through this list very quickly to show the place of jhana in this Uh, 37 factors of enlightenment this is considered to be the entire teachings of the buddha put in this uh, categories then seven factors of enlightenment that is mindfulness investigation effort joy tranquility concentration and uh, equanimity 
then Noble Eightfold Path, as we all know, right view, right thought, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right, right, uh, uh, what you call, effort, uh, right mindfulness and right concentration. So we see the right concentration is related to all these 37 factors of enlightenment. That is why I put jhana in the center. You see these arrows. Uh, theoretically, this is very, very important to understand. Practically, all of them work together when we keep practicing it. <coughs> then, uh, you see, we, in the first place, we have to develop, we have to find out a way to cultivate uh, jhana. Uh, number one is restraining. There are five ways of restraining. Restraining uh, the senses through following moral and ethical principles, that is number one. And this pervades in our entire practice. Without moral, ethical background, gaining concentration is almost impossible, right concentration. Wrong concentration may be, but for right concentration, moral, ethical principles should be observed diligently. That is a must for right concentration. Then restraining through mindfulness. That is why we practice mindfulness. We repeatedly mention the, the importance of the practice of mindfulness in order to gain right jhana, right concentration. Then restraining through effort. Definitely, if we have not started something wrong, we make effort to maintain that state. If you have not started anything wrong, stay in that mental state. Don't begin. And if you, by accident, if you happen to commit something unwholesome, wrong, like not only just physical but verbal and mental, like slandering somebody, you have never done it. But due to certain unforeseen situation, you might be influenced by some external forces, society, company, friends, and so on. Then 
as soon as it happened, determined never to do it again. And then, once you have abandoned it, you are, your mind is clean, clear, conscience is clear, then cultivate that repeatedly, not to let that happen again. Cultivate the wholesome mental state. That is through right effort, restraining. Then through patience. And lastly, through wisdom. These are the very practical, important five ways of uh, overcoming or restraining our senses. Then we, in the first place, we mentioned there are five hindrances. I think during this retreat, the five hindrances must have been mentioned several times by monks, these two monks, and me. So, by now, everybody is very well uh, educated, uh, informed about five hindrances. So I don't have to repeat them again. But, how can I pass that without mentioning? <laughs> so, <laughs> I have to mention them again. And you can see on the, uh, the slide, this is sensual desire, not sexual desire. Why sensual desire? During meditation, we may remember seeing something very pleasant, and mind goes there. You may remember something hearing very pleasant, mind goes there. You may remember smelling something very good, mind goes there. You remember tasting something delicious food or drink, mind goes there. You remember touching something or someone, mind goes there. And you remember thinking of something very pleasant, mind goes there. So, these are the five hindrances, and these are how five hindrances operating, working. Then, <clears throat> why, how we nourish the hindrances? I have given a very uh, uh, a practical, very common sense uh, things. Uh, it is actually uh, a diluted uh, version of the Buddha's explanation. That is subhasanya. Subhasanya means thinking that this is beautiful. This gives me pleasure. This taste, this smell, this touch, this sound gives me pleasure. So the pleasure gives us, pleasure comes through the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and mind. 
I love this. This thought arises in the mind. I want this. This is all I need in my life. <laughs> this thought can arise. It will make me happy. It will make me feel satisfied. It will make me feel healthy and strong. I will settle my mind, make me feel calm and peaceful. When I fulfill this desire, that will give me full satisfaction. <laughs> that thought arises in the mind. Now, sense desire is compared to being indebted, that you have borrowed something from somebody, suit, money, vehicle, house, anything, you borrowed. Until you pay it back, if you are a very conscious person, your mind is in trouble. You have very, uh, something very deep in you that you have to pay. That kind of thought arises in the mind. And therefore, this is uh, considered to be being uh, indebted. Suppose you borrowed somebody's uh, suit in uh, various places, various examples are mentioned. Suppose you borrowed somebody's suit for a beautiful wedding and you put it on and you mingle with people showing off your very expensive beautiful suit and then the man who loaned it to you in front of all these people would come and tap on your shoulder and said, Mr. I need this to loan to somebody else tomorrow. You must return it to me. All your pride will disappear like uh, air going out of a balloon when you pinch, you pinch it. All your pride will disappear. Until that moment, you feel very, very proud of this suit. Exactly the same way, when we have sensual desire, during your, especially during your meditation, your mind is telling you something other than the practice. And you are not free. I think this, you, I just mentioned here, not, go, not going to, to details, for you to think in your out of meditation time. Then, how to overcome sense desire. These are the methods. Today I am showing you the particular hindrance, what it looks like, and how we nourish it, 
and how we overcome. These four stages I show. Every hindrance, we nourish it. Every hindrance has, a simi has something, uh, a simile uh, to compare and how we nourish it and uh, uh, how we overcome. Handling desire through mindful reflection, that is called Yoniso Manasikara. Uh, Yoniso Manasikara means reflecting from the root of desire. Second, considering the danger of desire arising during meditation. Third, thinking of disenchantment, nibbida. That means sense desire. Uh, when we mindfully reflect and think of its danger, then arises nibbida. Nibbida means not, uh, that's a Pali word, sometimes it is translated as. Uh, uh, dis dislike or uh, sometimes uh, uh, just uh, f feeling sort of indifference. But disenchantment is uh, when we see the reality of sense desire understanding the nature, understanding the danger, then mind withdraws from that sense-desire and come to our uh, meditation practice. Uh, then dispassion. Dispassion, if it hap we have to struggle to have dispassion, during meditation, when we train the mind, this passion arises very easily. Then abandoning. These are the uh, these are some ways of overcoming sensual desire. And then uh, also we have to think mindfully that sense desire is impermanent. If I cling to this, I will end up in pain. I cannot hold on to it forever. I have no way to control it. Also we must think, these are the ways we have to use. In this case we have to think uh, deliberately. This desire is impermanent too. The satisfaction I get from this desire changing and impermanent. If I try to stop that change, I will end up with more pain and suffering than I have now. When I cannot control it and make it stay the same all the time, 
giving me uh, gi- giving me the same pleasures all the time i will wind up <coughs> frustrated and disappointed i am subject to change this thing i love is also subject to change these are the ways to we have to think and then if i become immersed in it in this i will lose my mindfulness that is demeaning i have struggled long and hard to achieve this mindfulness and uh, life is too short i think this we mentioned several times even during our interviews our life is not indefinite there is a time period and we will reach that limit i have <coughs> already enjoyed so many things in my life these are the things that we have to think when we have desire in during meditation none of them has ever given me permanent satisfaction and this won't either why should i satisfy why should i sacrifice this precious moment for the sake of this superficial temporary satisfaction of this sensual pleasures that is the thought of sensual pleasure and we don't want to sacrifice our valuable precious moment that we hardly want to practice meditation and i am going to just stop thinking about this this is a trap and waste of time to overcome hindrance develop the mindful develop the noble eightfold path noble eightfold path we have to develop throughout our life and when it comes to meditation at least we have to think of each step of the noble eightfold path noble eightfold path is to be developed for direct knowledge of these five hindrances for the full understanding of them for their utter destruction and for their abandoning and then next hindrance is called sloth and torpor what is sloth and torpor uh sloth and torpor is the is the traditional description given to all sleepy lethargy sluggish state of mind sleepiness and drowsiness is another common translation although i use here sloth and torpor there is another translation called sleepiness and drowsiness when sleepiness when you uh, do mindfulness of breathing body and mind becomes relaxed we have mentioned this several times and you experience it several times this is very true 
you often feel sleepy and lethargic. Sleepiness is very sweet. You want to welcome in it, invite to stay, but real joy does not arise from sleepiness and drowsiness. So you don't deceive yourself by identifying the uh, clawing, sweetness, sleepiness with real joy. It makes you that no matter how long we sleep, we will not get up with wisdom or any insight. <laughs> so we have to think very mindfully and carefully in order to have full benefit of our meditation practice, even though sleepiness is so sweet and beautiful, we should not suck into it, succumb to it. So you lose your energy. So sleepiness is the second entrance. This <coughs> Okay, unmindful reflection, the nourishment of sleepiness and drowsiness. I mentioned the sleepiness and drowsiness as a hindrance. Now I'm going to mention the, the way how we encourage ourselves to develop sleepiness and drowsiness or nourishments of sleepiness and drowsiness. Number one, Unmindful reflection on, uh, on discontent, lethargy. Unmindful reflection is thinking that, after all, this is very good. It's very. It gives me uh, pleasure. It makes me relax. It gives me energy afterward. What is the wrong with sleepiness? Uh, I need sleep, and so forth. We keep bringing more than one reason to sleep. Not any reason not to sleep. So this is how we nourish the root. This takes many forms. Weariness, sluggishness, laziness, stupor, and total exhaustion. You contribute to this mentally without even knowing it. So, Buddha gave the list, lazy stretching, drowsiness after meals, especially this time in hot day, muggy and uh, sweaty uh, day, uh, sleepiness is very natural. However, I recommended people to sit outside on days like this, so that when the breeze is, you know, blowing on your body, you feel comfortable and you enjoy that breeze and mind remain peaceful. You don't feel like going to sleep. So, sluggishness of mind and this, a simile for this, is being in jail. What does it mean when we are in jail? I don't know any of 
any of you have been in jail? I have not yet. So <laughs> imagine that you are in jail. That is not a very beautiful place, comfortable place with l people practicing loving friendliness. That is very rough place. And uh, guards are there around, around you. You are confined within the walls of the prison. You really don't know what is going on out in the world. I don't know whether it is true these days because there are so many other means of knowing the, the things going on outside the world, outside the jail. But assume that you are in uh, maximum, maximum security <laughs> jail cell. Similarly, when you are sleepy, you don't know what is going on. Not outside. Even when we are not sleeping, we are not thinking of outside. We don't know what else is happening in the mind. So this is a very beautiful simile to remember. Mind is shut off temporarily and you are in the dark. No development. That is why it is not highly <laughs> recommended in, to develop during meditation. Then, remedy, how to overcome sleepiness and drowsiness. Don't ask me this question again and again. <laughs> uh, you remember the, uh, the, the method, techniques, uh, to overcome sleepiness and drowsiness. Open your eyes. We have mentioned it in many, time, many times in our retreats and roll your eyeballs around for a few seconds. Then visualize very bright light and focus your mind on, on it for a few seconds. <coughs> we visualize uh, uh, you know, 1000 watts bulb. <laughs> then uh, your mind will be wide awake and focus on that light. Sometimes people say, when I meditate, I see light. Don't deceive yourself by doing so because uh, that is a sure sign of sleepiness. <laughs> Don't do that. But deliberately visualize the light you, you claim to have had in you would come uh, without any effort, no deliberation. And that is dangerous. But when you visualize light when you are sleepy, that is useful, helpful. And then Take a deep breath, the third, third method. Take a deep breath and hold it as long as you can and then breathe out very slowly. When you do it several times, your body warms up, you even perspire 
and then your sleep, sleepiness also will vanish. And then, <coughs> this is the next one, I like it, you like it very much. <laughs> Pinch your earlobes hard with thumbs and index fingers. Earlobe, hard enough. Don't chicken out. <laughs> and you want to feel the pinch. So you have to pinch hard. Not with nail, fingernails, but the fleshy part of your thumb and uh, uh, index finger. Then stand up very slowly and mindfully and quietly without disturbing anybody and do standing meditation. <coughs> and then, if that doesn't work, walk. You get up, mindfully walk. It is very unlikely that you fall asleep while walking, unless, unless something is wrong in your ears or balance. <coughs> then, if that doesn't work, you can see the next uh, remedy is go and wash your face with cold water. And then none of these things works. Go and have a nap. That would work. <coughs> and then uh, next hindrance is restlessness and worry. <coughs> That is what we call monkey mind. Uh, fear, tension, anxiety, and nervous uh, jittery feeling, all these are the signs or symptoms. You just cannot settle down mentally or physically. Sometimes it is all too subtle and you cannot pin it down. Sometimes it is so strong that you do not have enough focus to see any of it clearly. Restlessness and worry. <coughs> see, these two hindrances are so uh, opposed to each other. One is sleepiness and drowsiness. Your uh, mind is sluggish. It doesn't go anywhere in your progress. The other is when you overcome sleepiness and drowsiness, then arise your restlessness and worry. And therefore we have to be very mindful to uh, see, the, see how these two opposite uh, hindrances are working. It is compared to slavery, a slave, being a slave. A slave... <coughs> uh, always feel obligated, always uh, worry that uh, he would punish, would be punished if he doesn't do whatever job is assigned. And that kind of feeling. And then, <coughs> nutrients. Nutrients to, nutrients and for restlessness and worry. And Buddha said, what bhikkhus is the nutriment for arising, for the arising of unnatural restlessness and remorse? 
and for the increase and expansion of arisen restlessness and remorse. There is bhikkhu unsettledness of mind, frequently giving careless attention to it is the nourishment for the arising of unarisen restlessness and worries or remorse and for the increase and expansion of arisen restlessness and remorse. That is, in summary, unmindful reflection. Unmindful reflection. Ayoniso manasikara. Then, to overcome restlessness and worry, these are the uh, methods. So I mentioned restlessness and worry as a hindrance. Then I mentioned its uh, uh, nourishment. And now I mentioned the remedy, the way to overcome it. Count your breath in the very, uh, very special way described in this discussion. Breathe in and out, then count one. Meaning, I mentioned it in several places, uh, not in this retreat. Uh, you breathe in and breathe out, count one. Again, breathe in and breathe out, count two. Breathe in, breathe out, count three. Like this, go up to ten. And stop at ten and count down from ten to one. Second time, you go from one to eight and count down from eight to one. Third round, you go from one to seven, seven to one. And like that, one to six, six to one, one to five, five to one. Uh, one to four, four to one, one to three, three to one, one to two, two to one, and one. When you do this several times, when you go from one to six, your mind starts wandering again. Then you remember you are counting. Where were you? You remember I was at six. Then you don't know whether to go from six to seven or six to five. <laughs> so you trick the mind. Then you start all over again. When you do several times, your mind gets so tired of counting. And then wondering to stop and stay on the breath. So this is how we learn to we learn to trick everybody, but we learn to trick ourselves in a wholesome way. We have, we have been tricking ourselves or deceiving ourselves in unwholesome way in most of the time. Uh, but in meditation, we must learn a very tactful way to trap our mind trick our mind to overcome this particular hindrance. Now, <coughs> doubt. 
Doubt is, there are two kinds of doubts that uh, endanger your progress. One is emotional and the other is intellectual. Now, <coughs> uh, we want to overcome emotional doubt. That means we have no answer. We have no uh, way to go. We simply doubt. It is um, sort of skeptical doubt. Uh, but the other doubt is intellectual doubt. Intellectual doubt is the doubt that uh, you want to clarify something and you keep thinking. And then when the right answer, when you get the right answer, then you accept it. So first you have doubt, you are very inquisitive, you investigate, and then you find a solution, then accept it. That kind of doubt is highly encouraged in the Buddha's teaching. Not to accept anything by mere faith. Then solution to doubt, to overcome doubt, is uh, mindful reflection. Remember, all through, for every hindrance, mindful reflection is essential to overcome. You can reflect on the qualities of the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha to overcome our doubt. Uh, when we reflect on the qualities of the Buddha, honestly, friends, if we sincerely focus our mind on every quality of the Buddha, that inspires us. That brings us deep conviction that the Buddha is enlightened. And that way, whatever doubt we have in regard to our practice will totally vanish. Because Buddha is a one who practiced this and achieved the results. From that standpoint, he taught the Dhamma. This is very clearly stated in the first sermon. Even after that he said, Buddhohang Bodhai Swami, Muttohang Mochaye Parang, Tinnohang Tari Swami. Like that he said, Buddhohang Bodhai Swami, I attain enlightenment and then teach others to attain enlightenment. I cross over samsara and then teach others to cross over Samsara. I attain enlightenment and teach others to attain enlightenment. So from his own personal experience, he taught not just mere faith or speculation or theories. And therefore, whenever we think of the qualities of the Buddha, we gain confidence and doubt will disappear. Similarly, Dhamma. We experience Dhamma every fraction of a second if we mindfully pay attention to ourselves. 
our experiences. We see the Dhamma in us. So Buddha many times mentioned Dhammaṁ kāyena pasati. See the Dhamma in this body, including its consciousness. And then reflect on the qualities of the Sangha. There are nine qualities of the Sangha mentioned in the Sangha Vandana. Take each of them, if possible, if you remember, and reflect. Then, <clears throat> any success you have had in overcoming greed, ill will, restlessness, and sleepiness, to arouse your confidence, you have seen how you, how you have overcome your greed and you know that it works. When something works well for you, you have confidence in it. This works. You have seen how, how restlessness and worry arose and how you overcame it and it works. You have confidence in it. Uh, you have uh, ill will, which we mentioned later on. Uh, you, you use certain ways to overcome ill will, and those ways work. Ill will fades away, then you have confidence. You have sleepiness and drowsiness. You employ certain method, and it works then you have confidence. So from your own personal experience of practicing Dhamma, you gain confidence. Then, <coughs> uh, investigate the Dhamma and watch it work in your own personal life. Then think about what you have read and the changes you have seen in yourself. All this you can see in the Dhamma. <clears throat> then, uh, nutriments of doubt. Like all other hindrances, doubt needs, doubt needs to be fed. What does it eat? We have to feed the doubt. What does it eat? Unmindful reflection upon the thought of what you doubt. What you doubt, you justify it. You think, I am not going to accept anything anybody tells me. I am not going to accept anything even if the Buddha tells me. That is what many people, <coughs> some uh, half-learned Dhamma people, people whose knowledge is not very deep, they always quote Kālāma Sutta and said, even in Kālāma Sutta, Buddha said, don't believe anything, don't accept anything, don't accept anything, even I tell you. Buddha did not say that. There are ten points which you are not supposed to accept but there is a way and the thing that he asks us to accept in the Kalama Sutta. If Buddha says that 
even if I tell you something, don't accept it, then what is the use of spending 45 years teaching Dhamma? He should have slept and passed away easily very, without uh, uh, exerting himself for 45 years, sleeping only two hours a day. He taught the Dhamma for us to practice and liberate. And Kalam Sutta, at the end he says, very practical thing, very simple. He said, if you practice metta, karuna, mudita, upekha, for all directions, not limited directions, that means you practice your metta uh, in, towards east uh, 10,000 miles in the east, 10,000 miles to the south, 10,000 miles to the west, 10,000 miles to the north, 10,000 miles up and down. Then your metta is limited to 10,000 miles, uh, the, the radius. Buddha said, Buddha did not say that, he said, Practice metta to all directions, uh, to the infinity. That is why it is called illimitable. No limit, no conditions. And then Buddha said, when you practice it, in this very life, your mind is in peace your mind in, in peace. If there is next life, even the next life, you will be peaceful. Suppose there is no life after death. In this very life, you experience peace. Similarly, if <coughs> you commit something unwholesome. If there is another life, you suffer the consequences. If there is no another life, in this very life, you will suffer. Your conscience will suffer. The society, according to the laws, you will be punished. And the neighbors, around you will reprimand you and so forth, you suffer. So, he said, from the practical experience, you see the efficacy, potency, the power of this practice in your personal experience. That is not just a belief. That is what Buddha wanted to emphasize. It is not just a belief. It is your own personal experience. And so, in order to overcome doubt, at least look at your own experiences with mindful reflection. If you unmindfully reflect, then you nourish the root of your doubt. 
uh, <coughs> having doubts is natural dwelling on the doubts so that they will fill your mind and give you no peace that is not natural <coughs> it is our all enemy unmindful reflection and i'll be uh, i'll be, i'll bet by this point that you can guess what the antidote will be just remember that then okay another uh, other part of it is and what because is the is the nutriment for the un, uh, arisen uh, arising of unarisen doubt and for the increase and expansion of the arisen doubt there are because things that are the basis for doubt frequently giving careless attention to them is the nutriment for the arising of unarisen doubt and for the increasing and expansion of the arisen doubt okay then anger ill will the english translation for anger is very good word ill will that means our will is ill when the will is ill you cannot have good will right <laughs> the simile also given uh, to make it clear also is sickness when you are sick your taste buds is buds are not working properly no matter how delicious the food is you cannot taste it you say the food is bland and therefore this word i like very much not that mental state but the word i like ill will ill will can start from a from a <coughs> mild annoyance or little irritation if you don't take care of it at that level it gradually grows into aversion resentment anger grudge and hatred friends it is very very easy for us to have uh, to be annoyed very tiny little thing for instance in this retreat so many people are here together this is not the normal way normally you don't live with so many people sitting like this always like this but when you come to a situation like this the person sitting next to you may cough may clear throat may sneeze may shift here and there or may breathe loudly or may be snoring see one person can do all this <laughs> one person can sneeze blow nose cough 
and uh, to, you know uh, shift here and there and fall asleep and snow if all these 40 people if each one of them does all these five things how can we meditate <laughs> you get annoyed if the person repeatedly does it you get irritated <laughs> and then, and then uh, you get uh, angry by the end of this metta retreat Jan retreat, you hate the person. <laughs> See how it develops? <laughs> so it is very easy. And if you at the very beginning, <laughs> if the person is breathing heavily, even at that very moment, you <clears throat> do not pay mindful attention, uh, you would not let it grow in your mind and end up in hatred. As we know, nip in the bud. Don't make it grow for you to use a chainsaw. Cut it at the very beginning. So, <clears throat> When it reaches the level of grudge or hatred, you are like a pot of boiling water, very hot and confused. We all know when the water is boiling, neither can you see the bottom of the water, nor can you hold it, put your hand. It is so hot. Similarly, when uh, anger is boiling <laughs> within you, you hate yourself, you hate the other person, and other people don't like to associate with you. So in all around, you find negative negativity around you and within you. Friends, occasionally you get angry, I'm sure, but try to deal with it right then and there, don't let it go into grudge. <coughs> so the Buddha gave with this very beautiful simile of uh, uh, sickness. And the uh, English translation is very good, remember. Anger is not strong enough. Uh, but hate is not strong enough. Ill will is good enough. Because that is the time our mind is ill. And nutrients. <coughs> and what because is the nutriment for the arising of unrest and ill will and for the increase and expansion of arisen ill will? There is because these are Buddha's own uh, teaching translated into English. The sign of repulsive Frequently giving careless attention to it is the nutriment for the arising of unerisen ill will. Repulsive, not repulsive uh, uh, dead body or repulsive animal or something, but 
repulsive mental state, <coughs> we want to repel it, not attach to it. Since we want to repel it, it is called repulsive. We want to reject it. And for the increase and expansion of Edison Ilwell, unmindful reflection upon repulsive sight, sound, smell, taste, and thoughts sustained Ilwell. <coughs> I gave you one example in sitting. Then, <coughs> remedy. These are the remedies for, overcome, for overcoming ill will. One is count your breaths. As you experience ill will, when you count your breath, the mind goes to the counting, not to the ill will. And ill will dies by itself. I, I don't think I have uh, mentioned what I wanted to mention. Time is already gone. Anyway, let me finish this very quickly. Catch your anger as it arises at the very beginning. Isolate anger from everything else. Avoid angry people. Do some physical exercise and make right effort. There are various ways to do it. <coughs> and after all this, final thing I want to mention, to overcome anger, that uh, uh, you can find many things. Some are uh, danger of anger and uh, miserable consequences of anger. Uh, practicing restraint and see the wholesome people, wholesome persons, meaning people who do not get angry very often, anger and its cause and impermanence of anger, and the Buddha's patience and Venerable Sariputta's patience. Buddha's patience is very famous and Venerable Sariputta's patience is not very often uh, mentioned. I want to uh, give a little uh, uh, story of Venerable Sariputta's patience. Venerable Sariputta was known for his patience, compassion, wisdom, uh, the skill of expanding the Dhamma and explaining the Dhamma that Buddha started uh, teaching. For all these things, Venerable Sariputta was famous. One day, Venerable Sariputta was on his arms round. Then, there were a bunch of people sitting by the road, and they began to talk about him. They said, one, one man said, that monk, walking very quietly, is very patient. So another person said, come on, how can he be so patient? Let me try. So he gave behind him, and gave a big blow to him from behind. Venerable Sariputta even did not turn around to see who beat him. He just walked. This man felt awful. 
So he came around and in, came to the front of Venerable Sariputta and uh, paid respect to him and said, Venerable Sir, please forgive me. Sariputta asked, why? Because I beat you. Ah, is it so? <laughs> this man fell even worse. He said, this man is a wonderful. If you really, Venerable Sir, if you really forgive me, please come and have meal in my house. Lunch. Venerable Sariputta said, okay. He went, had lunch. While he was having lunch, he heard a big commotion outside. Demonstration. People shouting, take him out. They had clubs, rocks, and all missiles in their hands. And they were shouting, get him out, get him out. We want to beat him. Then Venerable Sariputta thought, now this man is going to get, get into trouble. Because other people who watched him beating Sariputta were very, were very upset. They want to punish him. And Venerable Sariputta thought, now <coughs> what to do? Sariputta gave him his arms ball and said, you follow me with the arms, arms ball in your hand. When he came out of the house with this man with the arms ball in his hand, these people said, Venerable Sir, take your arms ball back. Sariputta asked, why? We want to beat him. Why you want to beat him? Because he beat you. If he beat me, I forgave him. He did not beat you. You go home. So he let this man go with him with the arms ball in his hand until Vendabhai Sariputta returned to his kuti. Then these people all went away. This man returned home safe. See the length of Vendabhai Sariputta's patience. How much patience he had. Because he did not have a scruple of anger in him, not an iota of anger. You may think, oh yes, he is Sariputta, he is enlightened and liberated, Arahant, he doesn't have anger. How can we? We are ordinary people, we should have little, no friends. That is the wrong reasoning. Right reasoning is, he became Arahant. He did not overcome anger after becoming Arahant. He attained enlightenment after overcoming anger. So we have to overcome anger first and then attain that state. And after that you will not have anger. So we, he had been practicing patience for a long time in this life and in previous lives. No, now finally he was able to attain even enlightenment, not only by overcoming anger but others also. All of them he overcame and attained enlightenment. Similarly, if we practice this, we too can attain that state of patience. <coughs> so friends, uh, the other day I mentioned how to attain jhanas. I mean, what are the qualities of jhanas? 
attributes of jhanas. Today I try to explain the hindrances, how we nourish them, and how we overcome them. And what are the similes for each hindrance? Hindrance greed is like debts being debt, indebted. Uh, doubt, like in desert. Sleepiness and drowsiness, like being in a in a jail. Uh, restlessness and worry is like being a slave. Anger is like being sick. These are the similes we must remember, the ways we, to overcome them and how to attain uh, jhanas. I mentioned five ways of restraining. I hope, if not all of them, at least some of them you may remember when you try to practice jhana and to overcome them and attain jhana. Friends, this is not something uh, impossible, we all can attain it, provided we follow some of these very practical advices. And I wish you success and attain jhanas before you leave tomorrow. Okay.